Hi there, it's James Withall. I'm the CEO of Rupert Resources. Uh, our flagship project is this Ikari discovery that we made in 2020. And uh, pleased to uh, catch up with you, Berlin, and uh, uh, give you sort of an update and answer any questions you've got for us. James, uh, really good to be talking to you. This is the first time we've spoken over uh, this particular format um, with Crux, um, but we've known each other for many years. And um, uh, I did an interview with Tom as well. Uh, <clears throat> so much to talk about in Rupert. Uh, that extraordinary PEA that you put out, we'll come to that, but your most recent n news headline is that you're raising money, um, yep. $47 million. Uh, can you talk to me you know what what the money's for and how's that process going yeah so obviously we you know we, we put out uh, our financials for the end of november we have this slightly odd odd year end but you know we, we still have a reasonable amount of money in the bank you know well over 20 million dollars but we wanted to be um uh, in a position that the company's well financed and has the flexibility you know to survive any ups and downs of the cycle but make sure we had the funds in place to see us through the pfs study which is the next next round but also to carry on the drilling and so the drilling is is obviously being for um it is to continue to upgrade the quality of Ikari but also to carry on that exploration which is underpins everything we do uh, and we sort of reiterate every call that we have that ultimately you know you've got to keep an exploring and continue to look for that potential upside and those other potential Ikari deposits that might be out there because that's obviously the big driver of of um, creating further value for the shareholders and also controlling any the, the cost of capital in terms of developing increase so yeah sorry so um that last point controlling the cost of capital yeah because ultimately you if you you know we we really don't want to be sitting in a situation where you know everyone and we start doing studies and everyone forgets about the stock and just thinks oh these guys have got to raise lots of money and, and reality is the idea is i guess if you're a resource company you should never stop exploring really that's your that is ultimately your underlying business you know because it becomes a fact that there's four odd million ounces but and as soon as you start mining them, those they're, they're less, aren't you? So technically, be worth. It. So it's all about finding more potential resources to add into this in this project. Uh, and I think you know that's why we that's why we like the region because it's all you know. There's lots of greenfield exploration potential with uh, along all the, along with the satellites we've already discovered for finding more. Uh, so so it's, it's the the thesis of an of any explorer is you spend one dollar and you hope to create more than one dollar with what you find. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look, we've spent eleven dollars an ounce, a resource ounce, at the PEA stage, um, and that's you know we think there's a the recoverable value per ounce on those is about three hundred and seventy-four dollars. So, I mean, that's that is ultimately the thesis. We're currently valued at maybe I don't know maybe a hundred dollars an ounce, hundred twenty dollars an ounce. So we can add a lot more value to the ounces we already have through doing the studies and de-risking the project. But it's also, you know, that metric of even just turning. 10 or 11 dollars an ounce into something that's worth 100 dollars an ounce is is obviously as a higher multiple again and so finding more is, is is definitely a great way to keep on adding value and and finding more ounces growing both the the, the value of, of each ounce and also the number yeah. of ounces that you have yeah um, <clears throat> so um how did that thesis go down with the audience uh you know you you've, you said you're raising you're going to issue 10 million shares uh were these people that came to you saying we want to be part of your business? Are these is this a relationship that you've already got? You know, who did you go to? What was the process? Look, I mean, we have some very supportive shareholders that have been with us for a long time, uh, and they participate in every funding that we do. Um, we have Agnico Eagle, who is a participant in the funding or tends to uh, follow their interest, which is about fifteen percent. 
and also we have quite and it, it, because we've now got to the stage of having a PEA, we have an ever increasing institutional demand for the shares. So, you know, there's genuinely through through marketing since the PEA is out, there was there seemed to be more interest from from institutions who 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 can now see a lot more underpinning the value rather than just even the resource. So we moved from being an exploration company to then having the resource, but now really having some, you know, some decent economic metrics and. And finally, for me as an ex-fund manager, we can start talking about potential future cash flows and timing of those cash flows and things, which which definitely attracts a new type of investor to the company. So I'm, I'm just going to come back to that because it wasn't quite the full answer. I mean, it was a very full answer, but um, did, did you go out marketing for that? Did you kind of call up the, the, those those conversations or was it, was it an inbound kind of, um, or was it a broker who said, you've got, you're down to your last 20 million time for you to raise did you have a board decision you know a bit more granularity we, we had reasonable inbound interest off the back of doing marketing since that yeah right and, and with that where decision was made and as a board we decided okay if there was if there was interest we would go out you know in terms of the size of the deal look we have been always been very you know people say oh why aren't you raising more money you know you ultimately need more money to the project what why that amount of shares and if you look at how we've done all our fundings through the last few years it's about managing the amount of dilution at a certain price so you know 10 million shares that, that if we can do this deal as a private placement you know yes there's five percent dilution in the company but the costs of the placement are incredibly low because it's private placement and so the overall dilution to the shareholders is kept to the minimum we're not issuing broker warrants or you know uh, uh, and all the other elements that come with that it's a, it was issued at a bit of a discount but not too much for discount so it's we always think about it about what's the what's the right amount of money that sees us through to that next stage of catalyst for the company uh, and de-risk the project more and, and manage it that way and then try and match that up with potential demand um when it comes to the enlarged um balance sheet that you will end up with 20 million or so in cash plus 47 or so in the kind of the, the private placement you said that you'll have enough to do the the PFS and exploration drilling. Um, in your annual, in your, in your kind of your January release, when you kind of gave an update on what you plan to do in the in the year, uh, you said that you're doing a seventy two thousand eight hundred meter drill program that you started in August, of which about thirty thousand is infill at Ikari, and forty two thousand roughly is going to be kind of on extensions and um, satellites. What's the, what's the kind of the, the run rate on your program? You know, how much are you going to get done this year, do you think? So we hope to have most of that program finished by the middle of this year. Um, so going into, so I'd say by August, by the end of the summer. Um, and then we'll, we already thought about starting our next program over the next, over the following period after that. So at this point in time, we don't know our drilling rate might be slightly less next year, but it's all it's all discovery based. So we we with the infill that we'll do this year, we will hope to upgrade a vast portion of the accrued deposit to be able to put it into a reserve status to be used in the PFS, um, because we're moving from being a PEA stage where you can use inferred and indicated to to a PFS where you can only use indicated, and you'll declare a reserve. So that's why we had the infill part of it. Um, but yeah, we, we, yeah, well, you'll see us, you'll see us probably a bit more of a trend to doing more as the year progresses, the infill will be done and then it's more extensional and more expressional drilling. 
and I say we've been telling people recently that this current period right now is where we you know we, we want to try and before the end of this winter season get a few you know focus on some of those really exciting exploration opportunities we've got near to Icarus you know you talk about uh, six targets in that in that annual update yeah. and and extensions um what's the what's the one which is just to the north we got this oh, Hainer Central is just to the north yeah. and Icarus North is in between and then and, and Hainer South is just to the west or yeah and are those three part of the six targets yeah, so, well, Hainer Central, we did quite a lot of drilling toward, before the end of last year. Uh, in terms of Hainer South, Ickery North, and, and other targets in the immediate vicinity are certainly part of that target program. Some of them aren't even the, named in the six. So we asked, man, there's, there's, um, if you looked at our whole exploration portfolio, we call it, in terms of ranking all the targets, there's about 30-odd targets. So there's others that are at different stages of development, whether it's just base of till or just geophysics and things like that, that we may, you know, will it, will receive some drilling at some point. And is your um, chief geologist, Charlie, is she still uh, driving a, a, a tight program, a kind of an intellectually rigorous exploration? She, she kind of um, chews up loose comments and fools, doesn't she, for lunch? Yeah, no, I, 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 look, it, it, uh, uh, it, it's more about, the whole team really that she's built up i mean now we we just have a if i look at how the the geology part of the business is run now obviously we've had to expand it because we've got a project that's moving to the development phase so we've brought people in to look after the what i call the development or project work um which is going on which is all the other work you know infill and everything and then we have our exploration team that is absolutely is still led by the science i guess you want to put it um um and um, led by a thesis of, of discovering significant scale deposits and that that's that's all driven by the top of the team there. Yeah. yeah when you when you come to when you create a PA uh, normally what you see in them in the back of the document is a whole list of recommendations and yep. uh, relatively onerous uh, requirements to advance the project and do that de-risking whether it's from the permitting or the baseline monitoring or the geotechnical or the metallurgical test work um yeah. can you just talk to me kind of what those recommendations were and and, and how you're uh, advancing towards a pfs yeah so okay uh, on, on a number of fronts so i guess the there's the drilling is almost the easy one because you're just continuing to try and convert convert to indicated so there's an element to doing that with that same drilling program, though, you want to, you know, the, the key things we need to do is collect more geotechnical data. We think there's there's opportunities for optimizing the mine design, both in open pit slope angles, and which make a big difference to the, obviously the depth of the pit and the strip ratios. Ours are low, but can you improve them even more? Um, and then we need more geotechnical information for the underground, which comes from drilling. And then on the hydrogeology side, We've been drilling again this winter again to try and understand the hydrogeological regime there as well. You know, you are in a environment there's surface water and what are the links between surface and, and underground water. So, so all those technical things are thing we need to do. Um, we'll be doing more metallurgical work. Um, well, we're already already doing more metallurgical work that's underway. Um, so all these things that again, you know, where are those samples derived from? Drilling ultimately, um, and then in um, a lot more. On the environmental side, the the main driver of timeline for the projects is your permitting, uh, and it's about collecting both and uh, characterizing better the the both the ore, but more more importantly, actually the waste characteristics of rock. Um, 
you're trying to understand that more and we already have quite a bit of work underway long-term test work underway at some of the labs doing that with with ourselves we've already provided and um and then just a quite an ex, you know a reasonably extensive program one of the opportunities at ICRI is because we because you're in in the environment we are there's like surface till and then there's weathered bedrock and then there's actually the hard bedrock which we which we've recovered from the diamond drilling but we've never been able to recover that weathered rock um so far um so we yeah we have currently have a program to recover that for instance yeah. so when you say recover it as in recover drill core from that no you just can't it, 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 we haven't been able to happen so we haven't been able to efficiently up until this point in time and it it presumably um well question does it have the same gold content or do you not know because you haven't tested it we don't know we, we, we where we've recovered some we have some we, it has gold content so we, we need to make sure that we get that profile right um so and yeah. what depth is that profile it's very it's quite varied across the deposit so in the west of the deposit it can be 40 meters deep or 50 meters deep or or in the, in the east it's a lot shallower but um yeah so you can understand how it's important for us to get that understanding of that because there may well be some upside in on the resource side uh, um if you, if that weathered bedrock has got um recoverable grade in it too yeah absolutely yeah. one of the key elements that one does in a pre-feasibility study is loads of trade-off studies you you you, you try it at different sizes you try yeah. the, your you, you you kind of get the best fit uh npv plus practical deliverable configuration of your asset uh it strikes me that icar is probably not that difficult it's probably a relatively simple approach or am i oversimplifying it <laughs> i was simplifying but it, on the surface but it that certainly isn't complicated um i actually when you speak to engineers the reverse is always it, it because it's easy because it's quite because it's quite a simple shape or body it's just this massive block of ore um that actually leads you down a bit of a hole that there are too many options it's a bit like processing it, it they all the goal comes out really easily but actually then you're like oh but perhaps we should do this and do this and it's quite profitable and everyone's sort of like so you, we're discussing it you know it, you can you could get your easily get yourself into a situation where you're making we've got too many options on the table and you just get lost in you know lose time just oh well let's think about this because because it can do so many things but no i it, look we we've already done two rounds of trade-off studies for ICARI. So we have a reasonable idea uh, of this through the first time we did the resource and through the PDA, but certainly this time in the PFS, you really start to hone down those options of how best to extract that deposit in the most efficient way. And the PDA was based on a quite high quality indicated resource. So obviously we were able to do that to quite an extent, but certainly this next six to nine months would have ultimately a new resource model that comes out later in the year um, yeah, they will really be able to focus on on optimizing that further, and that transition, you know, open pit to underground. How you do that? How you extract the limits? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's probably the most the, the critical decision is, is absolutely yeah. the timing of that. Um, yeah, depths and and configurations and things. Yeah. Um, so you just mentioned it, kind of an up, and you alluded to it earlier, which is doing the kind of the infill drilling, probably by August. Um, You'll get your assay data back. You'll incorporate that into a new, MR, um, uh, a new mineral resource estimate, MRE two, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and then that should. Uh, uh, timing on that, presumably Q four or something like that. Yeah, we hope to have the resource done sooner than that. In terms of the resource we use for the PFS, um, 
Yeah, hopefully more Q3 period or late Q3, I guess, probably, because we tend to do the cutoff for the drilling in the summer. Um, and it just depends. Last year we were plagued by assay turnaround. This year doesn't look too bad. So, so far anyway, but it's only, it's only February right now. It might get busy again. But if we can um, get the assay turnaround, yeah, we should have a resource, maybe Q3, Q4. And, and um, obviously uh, we'll, we'll update that separately to doing the PFS. We'll put that put out effectively an update to the 43101 we have now. And then yeah. uh, what are the timelines to PFS? Because I mean, presumably the, the longest lead items on that is environmental monitoring and the and, and that yeah. aspect of it. Uh, um, and obviously, but reality is the PFS, we need to push that as fast as possible because once we've, because really the going back to the what will the ICARI look like, what's the best way to develop it, that really drives your environmental work. So we um, look, we, we want to be in a position where I'd like to be in a position in a year from now that I'm sitting with a, you know, looking at a draft documents of a PFS, um, whether we, it, 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 I don't expect to be submitted. I think we said 12 to 18 months at the beginning of the year. Um, so I still think that's yeah. fair. Yeah, fantastic. And of course, you, um, the, the exploration running along the, uh, on the side, you you hope that you're growing your, or kind of feeding the hopper. You've got these, you've got your first four and a bit million ounces going um, up yeah. the de-risking curve or the, yeah. the, the the value curve. And then you've got more ounces potentially coming in to kind of um, feed that, uh, the, the pipeline. Yeah, and it's just giving some visibility on that. I mean, the idea of the exploration that we're doing is is to, obviously, yes, we have this great ore body at ICRI, so that's definitely going to be the core of any study and drive the financial metrics that people will be able to see. But it's more both for um, an engineering side, but also the permitting side to try and demonstrate, okay, well, that's the initial, but and that's, say, 20 years of life, but what else might be coming into it? So, so when you're speaking to people, stakeholders more than anything else, and I mean in this stakeholders at this point I mean probably more your in-country authorities and communities to say okay well this is there's this is the initial start of the project but there's likely to be other resources that were mined so which would be extending the life of the project significantly beyond that uh, and it's just trying to visualize that more than anything else but ultimately the exploration at its core is trying to make another discovery uh, and when we always talk about discoveries it, it, it it's You've got your satellite things, which are, you know, you accept that they might not be as good as Ikari, um, because the hurdle for those is less, but it, a big part of air exploration is finding something, you know, that tries to rival Ikari. That's the, that's, that's how the exploration team thinks about things. They're set, they're, they're, their hurdle is set incredibly high. Um, you've got the run room, you've got the, the, the space, you've got the, uh, have you got enough comfort on the science of that kind of exploration side? Let, let's let's park Ikari for now and let's look yeah. at the bigger picture. Let's dream a bit. Let's go geological. Look, I think, you know, we, we've done a lot. Obviously, having discovered an Ikari, you are now, you know, we first drill holes, uh, you know, it's coming up to about over, over two years now, finally. Uh, um, uh, but with that, as we've developed a really good understanding of why it is there and the geological history of it. I think you probably went through some of this maybe with Charlie and, 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 and the, the, you know, what what are the key moments in geological time where you have this gold deposition happening in this part of the world and really understanding that timing. Um, and so that all gets fed back into the exploration model and every time we drill a new hole somewhere else, 
um, and we'd, we we can use all that knowledge to look at that new bit of drill core. Is it okay? Or you know, why maybe hasn't it got mineralization like Ikari? Or does it? What elements does it have? And where should we go from here to you know to basically get to a point where you could find something similar? I mean, reality is no gold deposit, no individual gold deposit is exactly the same as another of scale. But ultimately, in this part of the world, we we do feel as though we have a very strong understanding geologically of, of what is required, what all the different elements are required. Um, and then combination of, you know, we've been doing this deep geophysics locally. We did that last winter, end of last winter. We'll do some more of that and target, look, following up some of those targets, what do those geophysics targets look like in reality when you drill them? Um, but also we've been, you know, we have a, a, a small group of external consultants that we use to help us, help our team and give sort of third-party advice and thought process into into our exploration strategy as well. So, it, to be honest, if, if it, 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 right now it feels like we're you know in a better position than we ever have been to do exploration in the region, um, for uh, and potentially make new discoveries. But um, yeah, it, as you know, it, it still takes time. Um, it to does. Do that work. It does. It does take time. Um, <clears throat> I've just been talking to one of the one of the teams that got in um, backing by BHP Explore, the um, you know that kind of brains trust thing. And uh, what came out of that was that BHP were looking for a team that had a particular knowledge and affinity over a a region, a kind of an, kind of an intellectual property invested kind of through the team to know how to explore in an area, and who were looking for big projects and I think what you've just described is is something very akin to that yeah I think look I was describing someone yesterday we, we um exploration is, is no is not for the faint-hearted uh, um and um you, you need a lot of money but also you need a lot of intellectual <laughs> capital really and, and and if you can build up as much IP knowledge about a distinct area and then you can match that with a good sized budget and I'm talking you know seven million dollars plus a year uh, um, that's that's what you need. So you, you you almost people often say, "Oh, the big big companies don't explore, or they're exploring through proxy like the BHP one." But really, they've put in re- enough money into those companies that they can unlock that that knowledge that they have and and do do it in a, an efficient, relatively quick time frame, and see, okay, is there a target there that's a size or, or not, and then move on. Um, otherwise, you just die, die by Die by drilling holes with not much money, and you know, in, into stuff that doesn't really achieve anything. Unfortunately. Good. Well, I, um, thank you. I think we've covered the 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 essence and the spirit of your exploration um, division and the, the arm within um, Rupert Resources, or, which is kind of part of the DNA as well. But yeah. um, let's can we just kind of talk about how you view um, Rupert and Ikari in the kind of a, in a wider landscape and a wider context of gold discoveries. And gold companies, uh, um, kind of, how you see yourself uh, in that corporate landscape? Okay, um, I don't know if you're more precise about that. Are you trying to get and leave me down? I, I, look, it, 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 um, I'll start with a few comments and then we'll go from there. Maybe I think. Look, I, I think um, when we set out the company, the strategy. It, you know, we had this great land package. We didn't want to just be a company that owns a small little mine and does some fiddling around exploration around it. The idea was to go out and, and find a significant discovery. 
because unless you find a significant discovery, it's not worth investing any more money to unlock the value in it. And, and obviously, it, we, we've we've achieved that. But also, there's a lot more work to be done in taking that project forward. And and as a company and a, as a team, now we've, we've built up that team. We've just brought on our our project manager, our studies manager, to run the the um the next round rather than it you said bringing some engineering capability we'll add to that so in terms of where rupert goes from here we're perfectly capable of continuing to build up the company uh, and and because we have this strong foundation asset which is ikri which will take to, you know we'll go through the process go through putting through that um would but um i guess that's where we sit in it i mean that there aren't there haven't been many discoveries like this in the sector for many years. Um, obviously, you had Great Bear over a sort of similar time frame. Um, but I, it's just a complete dearth of other discoveries of quality. So it was a fantastic sale by Great Bear, but they didn't publish a resource and they didn't put the economics around it. And your economics, the IRR of 46% and the capex of 400 and was it 405 million or 450 million yeah, 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 um, yeah. It, uh, it's, it's, it's an extraordinarily low number uh, in terms of the capex and a high return with a kind of a, a, a big NPV that there, there are just not many like that um, yeah I, I think that but then it still comes back to what you're looking for when you're drilling deposits a bit like you know you can you know, even with the Great Bear deposit, I mean, it was it over over the time. I think they'll prove a lot more ounces up than they've already just recently announced. Um, but what's unique about Ikri is that it's so wide at the surface, very consistently mineralized. It's not it's not your average gold deposit. So, you know, whether the capex is four hundred or five hundred, it, it's it's very insensitive to capex um, because it, you know we have that chart in the presentation. The amount of ounces per vertical meter. Your average gold deposit, averagely good gold deposit, a really good one, is about five thousand ounces a vertical meter. Ikri is fourteen thousand ounces a vertical meter in the top two hundred and fifty odd meters. So there, you're going to get those exceptional returns. But that's what you should be looking for in a gold deposit. Is meant to be, by definition, a gold deposit. Is it, 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 you know, it's meant to make it's meant to make a high return. But but it, it needs to be that high return because you, it's not just you know you've got to pay for it. it, it it's got to be able to demonstrate a, a reason for being and, and a return for all the stakeholders involved. But I think, you know, the, the reason the numbers, the IRR is so high uh, in the project, which is probably the key thing to focus on, is just due to its physical shape. And that, that's ultimately what it comes down to, it, it is geometry of it. And and then, and because geometry is driving your engineering and how efficiently you can take it out of the ground. Um, and obviously geometry and metallurgy is probably yeah two key things but um yeah that that that's that was what makes it an exceptional deposit compared to others um, and the grades obviously pretty good compared to others as well and I, i'm going to pick you up you said that whether it's 400 million capex or 500 million capex it doesn't really change the economics of the deposit but it does change the perspective from a, as a shareholder of rupert because you've got a market capitalization of whatever it is 700 us yeah yeah um, yeah, and that you know that difference between four hundred and five hundred is makes a crucial difference to the to the from an equity point of view. It does, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I look and I think we I think our we look checked our capital against other PEAs and we still want a higher. We were we were at higher cost per annual ton milled than many many other PEAs. 
uh, um, that have been out there. Um, yes, you're in an industry that faces inflation, but again, again, I think the equity dilution is another important thing. So how do you, you know, and that sort of goes back to, you know, wait, you can control that by finding more and think, you know, people wanting to value Rupert resource at a higher level from now and demonstrating that it should be worth more than it is today. So then when you issue equity to develop the projects, you're issuing at a higher level. That's one way you control it. But also, if you look at the cash flow, and the reason I wanted to push to the PEA is to demonstrate the cash flow profile. So once you get into operations, you have a high, very high free cash flow profile. So you don't need to get complicated. You don't need to think, oh, I'll have to put a royalty on this. You know, you could just go with simple bog standard bank debt for this to, and leverage it up that way. You don't, you know, we don't have any royalties on it. Tom makes a very good point on this. We don't have any royalties on the project other than the landowner one and the future state royalty. That's incredibly important for the project um, and allows you, you know, and just look at the location of it and potentially the low environmental impact and low emissions. If you could access, you know, reasonable price, standard project finance for this project, you can obviously reduce, you manage that dilution for the shareholders. That's the most, the best way to do it. Um, but then, you know, you'll pay that money back and then ultimately the shareholders will own the, own the deposit. And you'll keep as much of that, as, as we also used to say at Baker Steel, as shareholders, you want to own as much of that deposit as shareholders as you possibly can, and then reap the rewards of that through dividends or through a yield on that gold uh, into the future. And it's about trying to preserve as much of that. And I agree, yes, the capital, sensitivity to capital is, is key about that. But again, while I feel comfortable in the fact, you know, if there's some, if there's some change there, I still feel relatively comfortable because of the very high cash margins that the project merits. Yeah, yeah, understood. What does your shareholder register look like apart from the 15% held by um, um, Agnica Eagle? It, let's say there's an opportunistic kind of cheeky uh, gold mining company that thinks, oh, hang on, the gold price is down 100 bucks in the last month. Let's make a bid for Rupert. You know, what's your, what, what do your shareholders, what does your shareholder register look like in terms of communication with you and, and desire? Look, I think we, we've got a growing institutional shareholder base, which I think is good, um, which, you know, been trying to do. But we also have some very long-term shareholders that have been there for a long time. Most of them are sort of, they're private individuals and, and, you know, high net worth individuals plus. Um, but I think I, I don't, um, I, I think I, I, I'm, I never really get too worried about that, Merlin Spurs, because I think ultimately... If someone comes and makes an offer for the company, obviously we'll, as a board, we'll have a chance to review that. Um, but but also I'm uh, I'm a bit philosophical that ultimately you you know you, you you show your offers to the shareholders and they decide whether they want to take it or not. Um, but you know it'd be very hard for someone. We we don't have a lot of high liquidity, so it's still very hard for someone to come in and just buy a large stake in the company. Um, yes. They could come and make a bid and people could tender to that, but that is still the freedom of the shareholders to do that. And I don't think, you know, that, that, that's, that's, you know, we work in, we're a listed company. And so that's, that's fine. Would you like to see your liquidity higher um, on a daily trading basis? Yeah. And it has improved a bit since we moved to the main board at TSX. And look, we, yeah. we are, as I say, we, we, I think we, with the profile of the company and change, going to the main board, having the PEA out, it does bring a new audience to the company, which is good. Um, and so we do see, but ultimately, um, you know, it, 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 it's, um, 
because of the nature of this company that it was funded, you know, early on by a, you know, by effectively, you know, private individuals to get it going that prepared to part the risk capital, uh, those guys tend to be pretty sticky and they're not going to sell the shares, are they? Just for, for the, for a bit, you know, they're quite happy to, and if you're a long-term investor in the space and you've got an application to this, you now have, you know, you're, you're now underpinned by five million ounces of gold in the ground. So you're not, you're not in a rush to trade the shares, are you? So, yeah. Um, if you had to kind of define your resource, your your, re- your share register as as sticky, um, let's call it Agnico institutions and and um, long term high net worths. What what would your split be of sticky it's to non sticky? The whole thing is pretty sticky. But I think it's predominantly. Look, it, 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 it's it, that is just it. it, it, it is how it is. I, I, you know, I, I um, you, you can. We, we've done. We've had lots of campaigns to increase the retail ownership. We, we do quite a lot of marketing. As you know, we, we've, we've pushed quite a lot of, of different things. But, but then again, we also recognise that, you know, people. It always used to be this. People see, you say, I say, oh, there's a reason we won't buy your shares because, because of X or Y. Some funds can't because of liquidity. So we, I perfectly accept that being an ex fund manager. That's that's fine. Um, and I think, um, and there's a risk tolerance, obviously, but but ultimately, if someone wants to own the shares of Rupert Resources, you can go and buy them in the market. There is there is a market that's listed, uh, um, and um, you know I think, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, not really answering your question, Merlin, but it, it, it's really sticky. Having a sticky shell the register is is a great asset in some ways it's also a bit of a hindrance because sometimes the markets often get priced at the margin so there's a small volume a relatively small volume to the overall value of the of, of the asset and it can have an undue influence on the, yeah. on, the on the price and of course prices uh high prices do help liquidity you know as prices move you do get liquidity coming through um i also see the old lassonde curve kind of popping up and the, you know that that the the orphan period they call it that that boring phase as you go through a PFS for example. Um, now, obviously, good exploration results will will help that. But what do you when someone kind of what do you think? What do you say to the Lasson curve on this? What about the Lasson curve? You can only fight that with exploration. That goes back to my point at the beginning. Any development company that stops exploring, for me, I just don't understand why they do. And, and they often do it because they don't want to. They don't want to cause dilution. But you've just, if you say you've just discovered a deposit, you're in the best possible position where you know the most about it at that point in time. So you don't need to carry on spending fifteen million dollars and have, you know, or twenty million dollars and have ten rigs running. But you can carry on exploring. And if you, you know, you, you're, all the presentations you'd have seen, they all say, "Oh, there's geological upside." There's geological upside. Well, if you want to fight the Lasson curve, carry on doing some drilling, because ultimately, what if you, otherwise, otherwise, the, otherwise, you, you're going to be a victim. Ultimately, we, we think it's, it's all about stacking Lasson curves on top of one another, isn't it? That's what you're trying to do as a resource. Look at a big company. That's that's what they are. Yeah. There's, yeah, yeah, but but you're also trying to improve the value per ounce. I mean, when you when your resource yeah. comes out, you're you trade. I don't know what it is. You we're trading at fifteen or twenty dollars an ounce, and when your PA comes out, you can come get a re-rating. To that. Absolutely, and that. But then that'll only happen to you if the project's good enough. Remember, so if the if the project 
is, you know, and, and that's where not all projects are grand for you. So if you've got a poor project, you're likely to be a big suffer. You're really going to suffer the, the drawdown because as you put out, as you, there was a great article someone wrote on, on LinkedIn actually, but during the expiration phase, it's all, it's all high risk, but positive high risk. You know, it's all like the next draw has all sense, a sense of positivity about risk. And then as you fall into the middle curve, but there's all the risk seems to be a negative risk. So CapEx increase, OpEx increase, all oh, this problem, that problem, that problem. So obviously if you, if you start off with an average project, by the time you go through all the negative risks and people in your CapEx goes up, your valuation is decreased. You can't avoid that, can you? So, so make sure you start off with a really good project. Then you might have some valuation, but but ultimately we're only valued at $120 an ounce. And we think that the NPV per ounce of those future ounces is three or $400 plus. And if you if you get into production, you should be able to get valued at maybe four or $500 an ounce on each of those ounces you've had. So I think... Again, it comes back to that point of, you know, when you set out to explore in the first place, what were you looking for? Were you looking for some? Were you just looking for a gold deposit, or were you looking for an exceptional high return asset? It, almost ir- irrelevant. Whether it's a, you could the same analogy for a copper mine, or it doesn't matter what the industry is. Uh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, nickel battery metals operation. It's got to be. It's to get to the your defense against so long. The Lasson curve is is expiration actually, and then a better project than everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, um, it looks as if you're on track for that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we keep um, on updating and, and, and keep on doing the work, and it's just a case of you know, getting on with the job. There. Yeah, you, you've got a lot of marketing coming up. You're, um, I'm going to PDAC in a couple of weeks. Uh, you've got one before that as well, BMO, uh, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Will you be at PDSC as well? I, I'm not. Some of the team will be there. Um, technical team are going up there to because they haven't been there before. But um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll leave them to go and uh, scour the halls and look at opportunities and uh, if on the technical side. So that that's what the function is for that one. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, James, thank you. It's been a super super update. I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you about it. I've learned so much about the company and also about the kind of the, the wider philosophy of exploration and these uh, <laughs> companies. Um, yeah, good luck, and I look forward to the next the next one. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Merlin. I, I know you're 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 well up to speed with most of the philosophies of exploration. Captain, so I'm sure. Hopefully, hopefully, something come out of it for you. Okay, cheers. <laughs>